and welcome back to Speaking Kid. I'm your host, Nick Siegel. And every week, I'm joined by guests to discuss parenting, early childhood education, and our own experiences parenting. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Speaking Kid. My name is Nick Siegel, and uh, it is my absolute pleasure to be speaking today with Stu Semigrand, who is co-founder and president of Educare Foundation. And just to give you some context, I'm looking at a man who's in his 70s, Caucasian, and uh, he is interfacing and interacting and supporting kids uh, anywhere from, what, 15 to to 21 mm-hmm. that come from very underprivileged backgrounds. And you have been there since you've been in your 20s through your 30s. All, you've been an educator and supporting these kids from 20s to yeah. your current reality. So without further ado, I want to introduce everyone to Stu Semigran. And Stu, if you would, please just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and incorporate why you do what you do yeah. before we dive in. Yeah. Well, thanks, Nick. It's it's always wonderful to be with you and to share this time with you here. I am a 72-year-old Caucasian guy who at the age of 20 realized that I had love for kids and I wanted to enter into their lives and help them. I wasn't going to be the first doctor or lawyer in the family. And I just became a, a middle school teacher in Los Angeles in some of the tougher neighborhoods. I realized that our kids needed much more than what was in the standard classroom. And inside of me, I said, I can see something of them that they have no clue is within them of their potential of what their life could offer them. What can I do in a classroom setting to have, and I always described it as how do I wake them up to who they are and what, what their life might hold for them. And so I started developing inside of a middle school here in LA, an elective class on what I was learning on my own and personal and professional development of how do you build yourself up from the inside and how do you set your goals and life purpose? How do you socialize in ways that you support yourself and other people and and work as a team? All those life skills that are not typically in a curriculum inside of a school district. And uh, my principal said, you can't touch that. You're a math teacher, history teacher. I need my test scores up. So leave that alone. And then I closed the door. We did it anyway. Test scores went zooming up because of a lot of that. And then he said, what, what you've been doing? And that became the, the beginning of leaving the classroom and starting with my wife, Candace, Educare back 32 years ago. Mm. And it's just been a joy and it's grown in great ways to help. You know, we're now served over close to four, over 400,000 students over the years and over uh, 400 schools, middle schools and high schools primarily. Mm-hmm. So let's let's dive into the practical application sure. of what you're doing. There's an article in the LA Times on April 15th, 2022, and uh, give us the context of that article and how it relates yeah. to the kids you're you're, you're working with at Front yeah. Center. And I'm just going to pull the the title because I think the title says it a lot. Uh, college admission season wraps up with a rejection party and a paper shredder and joy, and it epitomizes. Um, what we carry forward with schools, and we're now doing after-school high school programs every day um, throughout the year and summer for 31 high schools across Southern California, particularly in L.A. And this is from Downtown Business Magic in L.A., 
students who are guided and coached into preparing their college submissions. And of course, along with that, you get a lot of rejections. And a lot of kids start to identify who they are by their rejections. So the college counselor at Downtown Business Magnet High School, our educator staff said, let's do a rejection party to realize that it's your grit and persistence because along with your rejections, bring in your acceptances. And rather than focus on your nine rejections, guess what? You got a free ride to Yale or you're the first one in your family going to UC Berkeley. And we're gonna shred all those rejections because that's not who you are. And we're gonna celebrate your acceptances. And they had awards for who got the most rejections and still here you are celebrating your acceptance. And it was a determination. Uh, and their stories like first generation in college. My, my mom, she cleans houses. My dad, he does valet parking. And I'm going to be an astrophysicist. And I'm going to take him out to dinner. And I'm heading off to Berkeley or Brandeis. Watch me. I'm, I'm on my way. And these are the kids that we get to work with. And where do they develop a self-esteem that yeah. they can really go for this? Yeah. I think it develops, believe it or not, I think it develops in the home to some degree, but not always. And then what we wrap around inside of that school culture that we're, we're with you all the way. We're gonna, and the determination of the staff and the teachers who can see the best in their kids and are going to go the extra mile. Um, and then the kids, I think, pick up on that energy. It's like we hold this high standard for what, what you can be, let's go, let's ride with it. And we'll give you all the opportunities, the extra tutoring, the field trips, things that they can't afford, you know, the special coaching that other kids of wealth can have tutors and coaches, all comes through the programs we're offering them right on the school side. And the kids, and they, and they relish because then they become the leaders. We start stepping back and they start mentoring and coaching and leading each other. So they become like a posse together moving up the ladder here. So this idea of, you know, peer evaluation mm -hmm. is turned positive and it's mm -hmm. turned up. Yeah. These kids are really, and, and, and they're genuinely rooting for each other. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, in the article it talks about they cry together when they get the rejections and they scream together when they get the acceptances. And I'm talking about most of the times, it's not always that way. Of course, we're dealing with kids on the outside, looking in on this, and how. And a lot of our work is how do we bring those ones on the outside in? How do we, how do we catch them before they're falling into some cracks and pull them out? So a lot of our work is keeping our eyes wide open to the ones who need extra attention, who wouldn't be asking, and and how do we engage those kids? So that's that's another level of our work is is keeping those kids from. And as we know. With the pandemic, stress is up, trauma is up, suicide attempts are up, vaping is up, and how do we bring them back together so they're not alone inside their own miseries? And that's a lot of our attention these days. And how do you do that? Well, one of the steps is taking care of ourselves as, as professionals and our staff and our line staff, because they're, they're dealing with their own secondary trauma. So self-care is a main, main component. And then how do we create healing environments for the kids? So fun and play before high-level academics and, and having time to talk in small groups 
and having listening ears and and being patient. Like we don't, there was a drive to get all the learning loss caught up soon after the kids came back after the pandemic. It's not doable. You have to heal and you have to go easy. So we've been doing a lot of fun events, just parties, fairs, field trips, uh, celebrations, honoring kids. And first semester, all your C students, you're now up to Bs. Assembly time, let's go. Bring out the awards. Small steps that we're all in here rooting for you all the way. And uh, and it's, it's heartwarming to see. And the dedication from teachers across the school district, staff, They've, they've lived through it with the kids and to see them come back it's it's very encouraging mm. and is it a, is it the consciousness that everybody gets a trophy or no. is it uh, no um i i know where that leads to is like we're going to pat everyone on the back for everything and it's more to look at where do we praise and acknowledge for hard work and persistence rather than achievement like these kids with the rejection letters we're not praising you for yet, for you got into Yale or Brandeis or UC Berkeley, as much as we're praising you for, guess what? It took 10 submissions to pull off that one acceptance. Think about that, of who your character is. So more of the acknowledgement is for their, their hard work, their positive mindset, versus everyone deserves a trophy. Yeah, I love the way, that demonstration, because... Everybody getting a trophy is, I, I, I'm, I'm not a fan yeah. of the everybody gets a trophy. Yeah. You know, I, I know I've, in my life I've, I've pulled myself by the bootstraps many, many times. And, and where, I, where I sit here with you today is as a result of the fact that I needed to do it on my own in certain respects. Sure, there was support along the way, but at, at the end of the day, we, we, we are our own counsel and we got to take care of ourselves. We got to do it or, or we don't do it. And, and then we got to live with that. So, and I'm just thinking that you know the a lot of the acknowledgement isn't to be expected coming from the outside. Mm. And how do you find that? Going, you know what? I made it through. You know, and one of these stories of these kids who were at this rejection party, they go, my my grades dropped from a A down to a C. Why? I was out getting a job because my mother couldn't during the pandemic. I was taking care of my two younger sisters and brothers, so I couldn't keep up with my advanced placement classes. Now it's eased up. I'm back in with a lower grade point average. One of those high level colleges accept her, not because of her grades, but because of her story. Mm. That's what you were doing for the last two years. We got a place for you. And it has nothing to do that you're only at a 3.5 and not a 4.0. But what you've shown us in these last two years, you're the type of person I want in our college. That's, uh, well, hats off to that college. Yeah. Because, you know, so uh, in my experience, you look at those schools and they're looking for a certain metric because that's how then they have their own grading system and how they, you know, how they relate to the other competitive schools and uh, my, our GPAs are X and Y and our stat scores and all of these things. But it's about the human being. Exactly. And, and I love that, that what, what education is doing. So let me let me flip it. This is the success story. This is the end of the rainbow. How do you meet those kids when they are checked out and they're filled with their own fears and their own traumas? And what do you do to meet them there yeah. to, to help them blossom? Yeah. You know, I look at it, Nick, on a few levels. I look at it on the individual level, a kid by kid. And then as a, 
as a school or system level? How do we help the hundreds of those types of kids? And on the personal level, how many... I've read something that an average high school student will have maybe two adults a day have some real substantial contact with them. And it could be just flighting, just for a moment, their name, hello. And that's not going to be enough. So how do we bring forward enough adults who are going to connect with those that kid or those kids very personally on a regular, regular basis? We've put in place at a lot of our school sites a case management program where the school and our folks identify the kids who are drifting, who have special needs. They get one-on-one conversations. They're in small groups where they're getting to talk about their feelings, their challenges. And then we wrap them inside of a community where we have maybe 100 kids on a retreat, our ACE program, where they'll discover in a group like, oh, I'm not the only kid like that. Mm. Yeah, a lot of kids don't, you wouldn't notice it, but they're going through some of the same things. And then how do you feel you're part of a community that's healing up and it becomes a family more than just I'm out on my own. So we try to identify them, specialize personal attention, and then wrap them around services and, and a community at that school that will start to lift them into a greater healing and, and, and peace inside of themselves. And what is the ultimate objective with every mm. kid you look at? Mm. And then we were talking a little bit about this earlier. Well, I have a few. I mean, what comes to mind is, uh, and I've heard people speak of it, and I speak of it a little bit different, is that they could be the very best version of who they are. Mm. And who they are, everyone has their own potential and purpose and, and future. That they can understand that, that they're loved, that they're, they're the uh, main ingredients of their own self-care and their own self-direction. They have the power within them to do that. They have the tools. They can reach out for assistance. So my main hope would be kids will see that and, and grow into the best version. Um, and, and part of our mission for Educare is to empower to become a compassionate leader and live your dreams. That you can lead your life, help lead others' lives, and it's a life of your making and there's nothing holding you back. So that's part of my hope for our kids. Yeah. And I got, I I know you well. So, and I I know how I've seen you interact with children and it's a very individual relationship. I see you having with them. And how did you get to that? How did you get for yourself to that Mm. space inside of you where you could truly be that present and that available to, to bring forth the best of who you are. Mm. I, I'm just thankful to God. I'm not quite sure all the steps. I know along the way, I got kind of whacked on the side of the head by kids. When I was a young counselor at a summer camp at 19, and I had one of my kids who had cerebral palsy, it was a camp for kids with special needs and, and inner city kids from New York. And he came up to me, his name was Eddie. He goes, uh, he'd been picked on, he was cerebral palsy and would walk and run funny. And he would come up to me, he goes, can you teach me something? I said, what, Eddie? He said, I want you to teach me how to tie my sneakers this summer. I, and we had two weeks at the camp. I said, sure. So every day for 20 minutes, I would sit down with him on the on the bed and kids were reading comics and stuff. And I would take him through teaching him how to tie his sneakers. And after two weeks, he got it down. He was thrilled. I was thrilled. 
after the summer, he, I get invited over to his apartment where his mom is with him, and they cook me a dinner. And I said, hey, Mrs. Mandel, did you notice Teddy's tying his sneakers? Isn't that great? He came home from camp. She goes, what are you talking about? I said, well, didn't he tell you? Can't you see? And they both started laughing. I said, what's up? And they go, he, he knew how to tie his sneakers. <laughs> Don't you get it? He can't. And I understood. She goes, but he, he doesn't have a father. And you were that, and he mm. needed you by himself for 20 minutes every day. He wasn't going to give you over to the whole cabin group. And I said, wow, if that's what I was to that one kid, it's worth everything. So that kind of turned my head around into what I wanted to be for kids if I could. Wow, that story just, that just touches my heart. I mean, we never know what a kid really needs until we create the space for them where they can share it with us and, and, and then ask for that assistance. Yeah. How do you train a staff to, to embrace that consciousness that, that you're bringing forward so beautifully so there's that consistency and that, that, that high touch? Well, I think there's, a lot, there's a, a lot of young leaders, and I'm talking about college graduates and young professionals, who really have a public service mindset that I want to help in whatever way. And those who want to be helpful to kids, uh, we look for them. They kind of find us when we find them. And past all what college you graduated from and what, what's your credentials on your resume, we get to know who we're about to hire. And we look for heart. And many are from most of our staff, about 85% of our staff are, are young people from the community that we serve. In fact, they were Educare kids 10 and 15 years ago, and now they're Educare managers and regional coordinators. And so they know what we've, what's in front of them, and they are determined to give back, and they do. And then they get trained into a lot of the training programs that, and we call it heart-set education, what are the practices you can embody and then teach into your programs that teach empathetic listening that teach honoring and praising young people, that teach how to choose attitudes that are going to be positive versus falling into depression and anxiety. So they learn professionally how to train themselves and their staff and their kids with that. So you're a 501c3 nonprofit. Right. Okay. So you got to raise money every single year. Right. Yeah. So I, I look at my life and I'm... You know, I've created a, with a team uh, a software for commercial real estate evaluation tool. And I know the process of raising money for a startup, but f at least those that are looking at our product with a potential upside, they're willing to take a chance on that, right? So your, your product is children and the nurturing and the education of children. And these are not... These are not the sexy kids. These are the kids that that don't have means of their own. And you got to do it every single year, Stu. Let's start with, what's the budget for yeah. Educare? Yeah, currently in this year, we're, we're going to close out uh, at the end of school year, at the end of June, about a $10.1 million budget. And we service about 30,000 young people a year uh, across Though we do after-school programs daily in summer at 31 schools, we're doing supplemental programs at a total of over 100 schools around Los Angeles and Los Angeles County. And with that, about 325 staff. And 
Every year. Every year. You got to raise money. Well, <laughs> yes. You got to start from scratch. It's every not year. necessarily from scratch because okay. we have a good portion of our funds. In fact, uh, and it's not this way with all nonprofits, but w- we have government funding for about 85% of our revenue. However, it doesn't suffice because as our programs are growing, the infrastructure of our company, of our nonprofit, we don't have enough folks in our finance or in HR to manage the growing number of staff needed to deliver as many programs. So our real growth right now is how do we develop individual donor funds and how to develop charitable foundation funds. And that's been, uh, with my board, a big piece of what I get to do all throughout each day, each week. And we've had growing support. Um, many of the top foundations uh, in Los Angeles have rallied behind us. And still, there's something to be said that high school is not often recognized as much as the younger youth. And I can understand that. So in, in, in the state funding, only 3% of after-school funds come into high school programs, where 97 will come into elementary and middle school programs. And why is that? Well, I think it's always been seen as, I think, a few things. One is there's a greater number of kids coming through the pipeline early, and we have to get them off to a quick start. And I'm all for it. Head start, uh, pre-K, all of that's necessary. And I think that sometimes there's a thought that as they get into high school, those who are on track, they're okay, and those who are off, we can't recover them back, which is not the case because a lot of our kids are right on the edge, and we're bringing them back into ninth grade. And oh, they didn't make it to 10th grade, there's still a way to get them back in the mix. So I think attention right now is growing, not to give up on older youth. Yeah, that, that, that someone arbitrarily makes that kind of decision about, well, you're, you're, you're out to pasture at, at 15. Yeah. If they didn't catch on, if we didn't give them, if they didn't kind of turn the corner, but it's not true. It's not true. We're seeing in this article in the LA Times that we've been looking at that they had 70%, and these are kids who were borderline, many of them coming in, 70% were admitted into UC, University of California, systems of colleges and universities. Three times what was typically, they had, in this one school, they had over 20 kids accepted into Berkeley. How did that happen? These are kids who are borderline in ninth grade, and here they are as juniors and seniors getting these, because no one has to give up on these kids. Mm. Well, and also, you, many times, I mean, my older daughter has learning challenges, and that wasn't determined until I think she was in the second grade. Well, what if that's not determined until they're in the 10th grade exactly. or the 11th grade? And I, that kid's gone? That, that kid doesn't get a shot? Yeah. Yeah. So I think education is, and I don't fault, I don't point a finger at any particular level, but I think people are realizing a focus on lifting and redirecting older youth, um, it's invaluable. And a lot of the kids that, and I was mentioning it to you earlier, a lot of the kids that we have found now 10, 15 years later, they're our staff. They're Mm. leading back inside of our schools. And they're young professionals, and they're coming back and part of Educare's team right now, which is some of the most heartwarming stories we have. You shared a story uh, before we got started about uh, a young woman who uh, 
articulated what her dream was. Yeah. And tell that story, would you? Yeah. We've been fortunate to meet with different foundations and tell them about Educare so they can sponsor us. So we're meeting with one of the biggest ones. And now a lot of them here in Los Angeles said, with the health needs, can you do it virtually? So we'll do our site visits all virtual with Zoom. And we want them to meet our kids on our staff. And they become the spokespeople on these hour or two hour virtual site visits. And so we had uh, three of our students at one of our high schools uh, come on and she's glorious and in terms of her story. And she shared where she came from and how she's now applying to all these, this is back in the fall of 2021, applying to all these different universities. And she mentioned, well, amongst many, one of the ones I, I would hope to attend would be Stanford. And what's your dream, said the uh, nonprofit leader. They said to her, uh, the philanthropist, what do you aspire to be? I want to become an attorney. And I want to come back into my community here in San Fernando. And I want to be able to really help my my people in my community. And there was a pause in the conversation. And the uh, interviewer from the foundation said, you know, I happen to be an attorney. And everyone went, hmm, interesting online. And she said, and I'm an alumni of Stanford. And I just went, Wow, I just didn't want to say too much at that point. We went on, and it was a very impressive exchange. And then I heard that within the next two weeks, those two, our student, the alumni who was on the foundation board, they started talking. About a month later, we got word back. She was accepted into Stanford. And I said, who's to know where the kids can land? And who's to know how many people will support them? You just never know. And uh, she's one of many of the stories that kids are finding their place because people believe in them and they're going to go to bat for them. Mm. And in the environment where the kids are and in the course of a normal day of an after-school program or whatever the dynamic is, I got to imagine there's conflict amongst the kids at times. How do you deal with that conflict? In a variety of ways. Um, Things are up. I mean, because a lot of the trauma that the kids have faced, it's hidden. So part of it is how do we bring it forward as a healing time for conversations, counseling, small group. But when it shows up, because maybe that kid wasn't addressed, um, a lot of it is rather than demonize that kid, we realize we relate to the game to provide what the kid most needs. What can we do now at this point? How do we then address, maybe it's a red flag, this is happening under the service more than we're aware of at that school. So we put our heads together with the school counselors, with the school administration. What are we not seeing? What do we need to bring forward? Is it more one-on-one counseling? Is it more in terms of we need to have some more opportunities for the kids to um, release steam? And the ones who need more help than what a school could provide. Maybe they need some counseling, a psychologist, a, a, a private therapy sessions. And, and we find the ways to address that as best as we can. Um, you can't, you can't meet it all. We're surprised all the time. So how many kids go, wow, we missed that one. We missed that one. What do we do now to help that one? Mm-hmm. And to what degree are the kids empowered to? support each other when someone's going through a hard time. Well, a lot that's starting to develop at the high schools is teen talks 
where the kids are now peer leading and, and leading off in these conversations. In fact, there's some agencies that we've connected with inside of LA uh, where they have college students and high school students well-trained by caseworkers and counselors on how to coach and counsel other kids. Anonymously, they call in from whatever parts of the city they want, and they'll talk without knowing who this peer coach is, and they'll get to tell their stories, and they'll get resources to help that kid. So kids stepping up into learning how to be uh, a support for another kid, it's on the growing trend right now. And we're, we're helping to direct our kids into that platform of being the one to help and being the one to ask when you need help. And learning that it's okay to ask for help. I mean, that's a major lesson that we're helping our kids. It's fine to ask for help. Take the stigma off of mental illness or um, depression. Take that away and really let, you know, let us know that we, we're here as together to help one another. Mm. Well, it sounds like a very accepting environment that uh, with the absence of judgment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the key. And so if a kid is out there who's in pain right now, yeah. how, how do you support that kid? Well, you know, I'm thinking through the eyes and the place of a parent and as a teacher, or even as a neighbor or as a family member. Keep your eyes open. Spend time. And, uh, well, my, my teenager doesn't want to spend any time with me. Well, there may be some events, occasions, fun times that you, you know they want. Fun. Build yourself, build time for that. And don't, don't take it lightly. And, um, and then realize that maybe you have to put them close to others who might do a better job at that than you might do at this point in time. Is it friends? Is it... You know, how do you encourage people who they might turn to if you're not the one that they will turn to initially? And make that okay. Mm. But I think just keeping eyes open, pulse ready, and then personally just making yourself as available as you can. Is there a lot of interaction with the parents of these kids? Is that part of the dynamic of the programs that you're, yeah. you're running? Yeah, that's, that's a major need because when we first started doing our programs back 30 years ago, we thought, well, we'll just come in and empower kids and enlighten kids and everything. We realized it had to be not just the kids, but the teachers and the parents behind them. They all had to work collectively together. So the work that we do is we set in motion training for teachers and our staff to support the kids simultaneously what we're doing with the kids and bringing them into the workshops we do with our kids. So they're part of the fabric of the community. So it isn't like go to an educare program, come back to our school, and the school's not ready for them. And then how do you build a whole school culture where parents are accepted, they're brought in, and we have parent workshops where now parents are leading parents in our methodology of work. And when they have back-to-school nights, rather than us or the teachers lead them, some of the parents that we've trained in are leading other parents. And how do you have a hard talk, a communications conversation with your kids? We've learned this in our workshop of Educare. Let's, we're going to teach other parents in whatever language, whatever um, culture they're with. We'll train you as co-parents as what we've been learning. So we try to look at parents and our kids as being the coaches and the teachers for their peer groups coming forward. You touch on uh, culture. You know, different cultures address emotion very, very differently. Right. And how do you, 
how do you honor culture in in that discussion as you're trying to work through yeah, that? Yeah, it's interesting. It makes me think back. I, I had a chance um, years ago to work in, in Alaska with the um, Native Alaskan, the Eskimo population. And we do a lot where you look at each other and you look into each other's eyes and their face and have very direct conversations. And we learn quickly, you don't do that in this culture. It's taken as an offense. So how do you have respect for the culture and still go to the depth of developing understanding and empathy and intimacy in, in a family? And we had to work around that. And we see that here in LA. Um, a lot of our young Latino men, they're realizing that vulnerability is not typically acceptable. But they also see in our programs when one or two of them step out and they're supported and as part of their strength package versus part of their weakness, they go, okay, if we shed a tear, if we feel a little bit of emotion, that doesn't mean that I'm not a strong and confident young man. And when others start to demonstrate that, not out of disrespect for their families, they go, I'll find a way to kind of have that in my life and respect whatever the tradition of my family is at the same time. And so there's that balance that we see with them. And it's not out of disrespect, but there's another aspect of you that's part of your strength, and we encourage that. Mm. You know, the word that comes up to me is, uh, you know, the accountability of when the, when there's conflict. You know, it's supposed to blame. How, how, do, yes. how do we... Yeah, that's a good one. There's a technique that we've been working with for years, and we put it into our programs on conflict resolution skills. And a lot of it has to do with ownership language. Rather than you did this to me, it's, oh, when, I, when you spoke that way, I felt hurt. I felt disrespected. I became angry rather than you made me angry. You did that to me. And we teach the kids to bring that awareness and how they resolve their conflicts. And sometimes, and we've done this on middle school campuses, we have conflict resolution managers on the playground times. And they wear these vests and kids don't go to their teachers. They go to a their peer who's been trained in conflict, and they'll put the two together and go, so, you know, Jose, tell me what happened. Well, he didn't, okay, that's what he did, and how did that make you feel? Great. And John, did you hear what he said? Could you repeat back the way he felt so you understand? And so they're, they're learning how to listen from accountability standpoint versus blame, and then how to coach each other to get back into that frame of mind. And what, can, what would you like him to do differently to help resolve that? Well, before he takes my ball, I'd like him to ask, can I have your ball, rather than swipe it out of my hands. Can you do that over here, John? Oh, yeah, I could do that next time. Okay. Guys got it? Do you agree to that? So they kind of take the step process of accountability versus blame, and the kids help coach them through it. Uh, and so it's a wonderful training session. We help the coaches prepare for that. That's fantastic. We could all use that in our lives, <laughs> right? I know. You know, one of the things that has come up in past episodes is this um, – the concept of the pain of the past and and the embarrassment or the shame around actions that we've taken with our kids and you know how how do you deal with that how do you uh, when you're talking to a parent and that they can barely even look at their kid and it's yeah. not because they don't love them it's because they just keep replaying the tapes of the memories and and the pain that's yeah. with that that's a big one, Nick. Um, one of the uh, 
skill sets that we work with is changing judgment to forgiveness. And it's a process. It's a ongoing learning. It doesn't come overnight. And a lot of the judgments aren't outer-directed, they're inner-directed. How could I have done that? Um, and then how we run that tape of judgment over and over and over upon ourselves, and it just takes us into, I'm no good, I'm, and all the worst of depression. And so part of our lessons in our work with ourselves, with our staff, with our is to start to identify self-judgment. And, and realize you have a choice when you fall into that pattern. Forgiveness? How can I forgive myself? I know for me, I can remember, I'm learning this stuff and teaching this stuff, and Jeff, our son, was all of seven or eight, and, and this is what happened to me as a kid. I wasn't walking fast enough up the sidewalk, and my dad gave me a, a kick in the butt to get moving, and I remember one day I did that to him, and, and it hurt. And he, looked, and, he, and he was stunned, and I was stunned. And I go, and I couldn't get out of judging myself that day and I realized, you know what? One, am I a good dad? Yes. Do I sometimes fall off track? Definitely yes. Am I going to beat myself up for over, uh, over and over? Hope not. What do I do to get out of it? I'm a good dad who sometimes screws up. And I'm a good dad. So give it up. Do better next time. And he came back to me and said, you know what? What was going on? I said, I was just really uptight and tense and who knows what. I apologize. And I know... As much as it was for him, I had to do my apologies to me and not to identify that's, that's going to be who I am. That's not Just like those kids, they're not their rejection letters. I'm not the dad kicking my kid in the butt every day. I'm not that dad, and I won't be that dad. Yeah, so it's making that choice to say, who, who do I claim to be? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I remember just the other day, you know, Lily, my three-and-a-half-year-old, and we went through a half an hour of just trying to get her hair brushed. You know, forget forget getting taking a bath, just getting the hair because she has longer hair. And I finally said, I'm brushing your hair. And then she, because she rarely heard that tone of voice of mine, and brushed her hair. I apologized in that moment. You know, I got upset and I, I, my frustration is my frustration and worked through all of that. Three weeks later, I'm putting her into her car seat and this is a kid, three and a half, says, you know, Dad, next time you want to brush my hair, maybe you could ask me, hey, Lily, can I brush your hair? Now... I was like, Lily, <laughs> absolutely thank you for giving me that yes. so that 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 yeah. direction. So now did I ask her twenty-two times? That's irrelevant, right? I had a kid who was empowered enough to say, I can speak openly with my father to ask yes. for what I want. Yes. Yeah. And that to me was the gift of gifts. And exactly. I just you know Yeah. And having that made known to her that she has that space, that freedom to give that feedback to you mm. and it wasn't going to be tossed aside. Mm. And I think that's the key for all of us as parents going, can we be open enough, open enough to know we're not perfect and our kids could point things out and could we, t and in fact, maybe they're teaching us how to be better parents if we listen carefully enough mm. and watch carefully enough. Yeah, and in the past, my ego wouldn't allow for that. I'm your father, this is how it's gonna be, I'm the authoritarian, and you are subservient to me because you're right. just a kid. Right. 
and that's not taking into account the consciousness of that of that human being right they're just smaller and they may not be as articulate but they still they're they're fully developed in in their hearts and in the way they can express innately right that that visceral emotion that visceral humor that visceral laughs all of the above that those dynamics yeah i mean as since i i know you and and been around lily and see i mean along with the gifts of joy and happiness they bring us they're also bringing us the lessons to mature up mom mature up dad they won't say those words but they're going you know get better I want you to get better at being my mom and my dad for my sake. So, yeah. And I'm going, okay, that doesn't mean I'm not a great mom or dad, but I got some room for growth here. Okay, I can get up there. Yeah, yeah. So back to Educare, you plan on retiring anytime soon? Well, we'll see. I mean, I can see it down the road, but uh, when people ask me, I go, I'm not done yet, is, is one of my answers. And uh, we're building a great team of leaders inside of Educare who are you know, rearing to go to even do more with us. So yeah. uh, there's a great future here. I, I asked the question almost rhetorically. I don't see you ever retiring. <laughs> I, I think you got the juice of a, of a 30 year old. Just, wow. it's just so drives you. And I, I just see the passion. What's the vision for Educare in the yeah. next five years? Well, part of it has to do with um, allowing ourselves as an organization to have the capacity to do more, not just locally here, but statewide, nationally, and globally. We learned during the pandemic, we switched a lot of our focus of trainings to serve parents and, and teachers across the nation virtually. When schools came back alive here, with and we were doing a lot for our kids here in LA virtually, we we're now back on campuses. So a lot of our attention has been in person, but we're seeing the possibility for educator grow in great ways virtually and do a lot of our work and, and maintain that in person. So we're looking at how to build ourselves with business development, build our staff up both here, but perhaps elsewhere, and uh, and carry ourselves forward so we can give our staff, part of what we're dealing with now is how do you maintain staff, not just in Educare, but we're seeing it in all workforce so that they are provided a living wage. There's growth career opportunities inside of that company for them. And we're doing our best to build ourselves up from the inside so we can capture our vision and also really maintain and, and treat our people well and, and help them grow into their leadership inside of Educare. So we have both internal and external drives to put that forward. Uh, we're reaching out to people in foundation world and donation worlds to, they see the need for our kids. We're, I mean, right now there's schools that we have to say we don't have the capacity yet to, to be with you yet. There's more schools that are asking for our programs that we can Right now, we can't even reach out to you. There's a waiting list for some of our social-emotional development programs. We can't match it yet. So um, we just want to build up from the inside as well as serve from the outside. Mm. And if someone suddenly dropped $10 million in your lap, do you know what you'd do with it? Yes. You want to hear? Yeah. Okay. So part of it has to do with um, developing our staff in a way that they're supported. We have staff who are working so hard and there's many levels inside of our HR department, finance, program development that we can't yet afford to build in the supports that our people need to maintain and even grow where we're going. In terms of uh, virtual development, that's a whole field. And I see what you come out with as you're doing your work that we can't even afford to touch yet because our government funding is very, and it's properly done, 
The young campuses deliver that work, but there's kids we can reach in many places that we can't afford to go out to. So the, part of that need is to build up the capacity of our work staff, our workforce to really capture that, and also develop the new technologies we need to do fine online learning that uh, that people are hungry for for Educare right now. Hmm. And then we want to build the security. So it isn't a year-by-year fundraising drives that we're doing, that we build up legacy of giving. We build up endowments for Educare. We have some now companies and foundations realizing this is not a one-year gift. This is a three-year gift. We want to be able to invest enough that this will carry forward if the government takes a turn that we can't have 80% government funding. Educare is not going to have to take a turn. We'll be strong enough to keep going. Hmm. Well, it's it's fantastic work you're doing, and uh, you are an unsung hero. I, I know that, and I know you, you, you as a very modest person, just do the work, and that's that's all you need is is the work that you're doing. And I just I applaud you. I'm I'm thrilled that people can listening in can get a better sense of who you are as as a huge heart and a human being, and and how you direct that towards the beautiful work that you're doing at Educare. Thank you, Nick. And uh, you know, it's always a privilege and a pleasure to be with you. And uh, and I just place for who's ever listening uh, to place all of our children, wherever they are, in any part of the world, and all those who care for them in the best of your hearts and prayers. Uh, they, they're they carrying us forward, and, and we're going to be part of carrying them up. Mm, that, beautiful, beautiful. And those of you who want more information, you can go to my website, and there'll be all sorts of links that you can get more information about Educare and the fine work. So thanks for listening, and uh, we'll, we'll be checking in next time. As always, if you've enjoyed this episode today, you can find out more about me and the work I do, along with my guests, at nicksegal.com. Thanks for listening.